When I began working on this series, this All Things New series a few weeks ago, I began generating a corona list of ways that we are holding all things in common. It's my David Letterman top 10 list of things people hold in common during corona. Ready? Number 10, an unnecessary stockpile of toilet paper. <clears throat> Number nine, extra cans of Dentimore beef stew. That's probably just me, though. Number eight, trauma from watching Tiger King. <clears throat> Number seven, everyone now has Amazon Prime if they didn't have it before. Number six, an acknowledgment that when your child's teacher tells uh, you that your child is such a joy to teach, they might be bending the truth a little bit. Number five, when your teacher tells you how blessed you are to have such wonderfully patient parents, your teacher might be bending the truth a little bit. Number four, we're all following Leslie Jordan on Instagram. Number three, Zoom fatigue. Amen? Number two, the undeniable truth that hair salons should never, ever, ever close again. And the number one truth we hold in common because of corona, local businesses are the lifeblood of a community we love so dearly, and we love those businesses. Amen? Amen. We're finding that out. We hold most of these in common, but what about as a family of faith? What do we hold in common? You know, these appearance accounts of Jesus after the resurrection, they begin, they begin a crescendo, a groundswell, a revival, some would say. Uh, the more and more people who began to see Jesus in person the more the symphony of joy began to grow, it was like an instrument kept being added to this magnificent resurrection orchestra. Because resurrection never was the end of the story, it was always the beginning. And it progressed to this wonderful event called Pentecost, after which the disciples had to decide a very key question. What will keep us together when we are scattered out in the world? You see, they had heard Jesus give the Great Commission, go to the ends of the earth. You can't stay sheltered forever. Scatter. Even though you're hunkered down right now in the temple and you're waiting on a sign to scatter, you will scatter at some point. What would hold them together even though they were apart? You know, even in their diversity of opinion about how Easter happened and what actually did happen, and the disciples had their own details about Easter, what ties would bind them together? Luke helps us. He says the disciples followed what could be an early creedal formula. We have the Apostles' Creed. This, this could be an antecedent to that. Uh, it could also be an early pattern of worship. When they scattered out into the world, they've actually met in homes, just like you are right now. For 200 years, Christians gathered in homes. There's this weird math that we multiply by dividing. You know, that's how the gospel seems to work. You actually are modeling the early church movement called the way. Churches met in homes. So Luke, who wrote Acts, tells us they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. If we're drawing parallels between the early church and the modern church, it's relatively easy. All one has to do is, is to read the e-news or pick up a copy of the chimes, which I hope most of you receive this week. If not, you will soon. Or to listen to uh, announcements, follow social media outlets and that kind of thing. 
Uh, and you won't have to look very far to see how this church, our church, is devoting itself to the Gospels and to fellowship and to food and to prayers. In fact, these are the ways that most of us have experienced the Christian life, Christian formation, Sunday school, Bible studies, confirmation classes, celebrating a communion, which we long to do together. These are the in-person expressions of what it means to be a part of a faith community. But how are we uh, a people? How are we a faith community even when we're not together? There was a blogger, Catherine Matthews, whose work I appreciated reading this week. Uh, we, she talked about how at the center of this present global pandemic is human suffering. That sounds a little bit perfunctory to say, but I don't want us to lose sight that at the center of the reason why we're doing worship this way and why we're socially distanced from one another is because other people are suffering. I called one of our own church members this, this week, uh, a few days ago, to check on him. He's at uh, UAB, having contracted the coronavirus, and he was his wonderful, encouraging, optimistic, upbeat self. He was even looking forward to being part of a, a, a clinical trial that was coming up. He sounded like himself until he didn't. After he coughed, I heard firsthand through the phone that the toll that this virus can take on someone. And I hurt for him. And in a strange way, I wanted to be there with him. I wanted to call a doctor. I wanted to do something to help, anything. But he gathered himself and he said, well, preacher, that's the virus. And that's how it sounds. But I'm actually getting better, if you can believe that. And so his words reminded me that as inconvenient as it is for us to be away from each other right now, that at the center of this pandemic are those who are really, really ill. At the center of this battle are families who are ripped apart, who cannot visit loved ones. At the center of this storm where this disease is so intense are medical workers who are caring for strangers and colleagues and friends, but oftentimes they, they don't have the right equipment. They don't have enough rest or compensation or support. At the center of this, this global crisis is suffering. That's a matter of justice in some way. And that's not to mention those who have lost their life savings or any substantive form of income, their security, their child care, those who are suffering from other chronic illnesses and are at risk, including mental health illnesses, those that are exacerbated by loneliness and anxiety. We're thinking a lot these days, our clergy team and all of us, about those who cannot hold the funerals in the ways that they would like to for loved ones who, who are dying, let alone be with them at the end of their life. In one way or another, we're all together sharing this extraordinarily painful and challenging time. And how do we congregate as a congregation without being able to congregate? These ties that bind, you see, even when we are apart, they're bonds of love, love for the stranger we otherwise might pass in public, love for those who are on the front lines, love for our community, love for someone on the other side of the world whose livelihood depends on the decisions that we make and vice versa. You see, our faith, it expresses this deeply human need to be together, but also we have to find ways to be flexible and creative. And so pastors, 
church leaders, choirs, audiovisual gurus like our own. We find ways to be a church, to be a people, to hold all things and ourselves in common, even in these most extraordinary times, because we remain a gathered community no matter how far distanced we are from one another. My top 10 list, as silly as it is, it does cause us to ask a, a question that's been around for a while. What binds us together while we are apart from one another? And so if you think of these four directives that Luke gives us, the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and prayers, you can choose to view those as a creed or a worship pattern or a model of discipleship, or maybe even as a prescription. Luke was a physician, after all. Uh, maybe he was giving us that prescription. But however you choose to view those, those patterns, uh, the larger question is, what does it look like to adopt those as ligaments that hold together the body of Christ during these times when we're away from one another? In other words, we have this tremendous opportunity in the middle of this COVID battle to rise up and to flex and to make a difference even though we can't be together. So I want to offer a few ways that that can happen. I'll be posting these uh, later this week. But number one, in terms of attending to the teachings of the apostles, pick a gospel or pick one of Paul's letters and begin reading it. Note the immediacy of, of Mark, the inclusiveness of Luke, the radical discipleship of Matthew, and the universality of Christ found in John or the pastoral directives of Paul. Devote yourself to the teaching of the apostles. Number two, don't do step one alone. <laughs> Find a reading partner. That's the fellowship part of all of this. If you find yourself alone, give us a call. We'll pair you with someone. But read and attend to the teachings of the apostles together. Number three, we devote ourselves to the breaking of the bread. Now, that sounds uh, very Eucharistic, and it is, like Holy Communion. And we long to be together. Normally on the first Sunday of the month, which today is, we would be gathered right here and preparing our hearts. We would have confessed our sins. We would be celebrating the common loaf and the cup that binds us together. We'll get there soon, I promise. But I think Luke could be instructing early Christians that sharing a meal together in general is holy. My family, we've, we've been eating a lot of meals on our porch together. It's called the Situation Porch. <laughs> it's where a lot of life happens. And I cherish those few moments because I know they're, they're fleeting. Our younger daughter, Ella Kate, she'll go back to school at some point. Susan and I will... Uh, right off into the sunset with our meals together on the Situation Porch. What I know is that when we share a holy meal together and our bodies are nourished, there's something that's extremely holy about that time. So share a meal together wherever you are. And finally, devote yourself to prayers. How do you pray? When do you pray? Where do you pray? When you pray, do you talk more? Do you listen more? Now is the time to bind ourselves to God and to one another through prayer uh, this coming week, we're going to go ahead and, and post this guided prayer for nas the National Day of Prayer. And it has times throughout the day at 9 a.m., at noon, 3 p.m., 6 p.m., and 8 p.m., morning, midday, uh, and evening prayers. Ways for us to connect, to be bound together through the Spirit of Christ and with one another. I hope you'll take advantage of that. That's a very uh, wonderful way for us to be in prayer, to pray without ceasing. Now, here's something 
else that I really love about St. Luke is that he's always drawing this, this circle wide. He tells us how early Christians devoted themselves and what they did in their homes as they were waiting to scatter out into the world. That comes first. Uh, these four instructions, the teachings, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread and the prayer, it's almost like put the oxygen mask on yourself before you can go and attend to the needs of others. But then he says this, all and wonder came over them, and I'm adding this part, because the Holy Spirit had filled that prescription, and then they held all things in common so that no one had needs. Embedded in this simple formula for in-person discipleship is a message of mission. Why study? Why fellowship? Why break bread? Why pray? Because there's so much suffering in the world, and the church is the answer to all of those challenges. Although apart, we have not nor will we ever cease to be the church. And so under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the church sold possessions and donated their excess possessions. If they didn't have excess, they, they sold and donated sacrificially because there was another human being or another family in need. Luke is painting a picture, and honestly, his color scheme is quite familiar. Life with Jesus begins when one is willing to hold oneself in common for a purpose greater than oneself. And if that's true of an individual, it's true of a faith community. The scope of mission begins to widen when a faith community, if it'll hold all things in common for a purpose greater than itself, then it's li living into resurrection faith and power. I see that with our, our impact campaign. Those renovations are beginning to take form, and you've held uh, yourselves in common through generosity. And there are things that will happen that we get really excited about and other things that maybe we're not so excited about, but the end goal must be to reach people for Jesus Christ and to think about future confirmation classes and future people who will be baptized and future members and future worship experiences, future generations of children and people in need around our, our city. Our forefathers and mothers did that with this magnificent space. They had us in mind. And now is our opportunity to do the same. So we hold our co ourselves in common in that way. But you know, I also believe when Luke says, disciples of Jesus Christ hold all things in common, that in doing so, we become the answer to hunger and to loneliness and to poverty, to name a few. In my mind, there's no reason for a human being to go to bed hungry. One of the reasons I believe that is, is because of how much food we consume. How much food is in my own pantry right now? I mentioned the Denty Moore cans. I joke about it. But seriously, there's a lot of Denty Moore in our pantry right now. Why, if that's the case, why then don't I share with people who are hungry? I'll do that tomorrow. I'm convicting myself. The same is true for poverty and loneliness and homelessness. We are God's answers to the challenges in our community. Because I believe that holding all things in common is more than a prescription about possessions. It means that to truly follow the risen Christ and to answer where the shepherd is leading us and to follow him into mission, then we must also hold the challenges of our community in common. And here's why. 
Hurting people belong to God, so they need to belong to us too. Lonely people, they belong to God, so they need to belong to us too. Hungry children are God's children, so they should be our children. That's the missional scope of resurrection. You know, I see a lot of innovation emerging from this time of, of national shutdown. Businesses are finding ways to offer curbside service. Some groups who can't meet inside are finding ways to meet in yards and driveways and parks, support groups and music lessons and yoga. Uh, shameless plug number two, support local small businesses now and forever, henceforth, amen. And as much as, as we are experiencing Zoom fatigue, technology is binding us together when we can't be together. Every preacher I know has become <clears throat> a televangelist, but we really need the, the, the hair salons to, I mean, you can't be a, on TV and be a televangelist with bad hair. It just breaks all kind of rules. <laughs> but my point is that the movement called the church, the movement called the church, it always finds a way. The mission of the church, it always finds a way. Isolation, separation, distancing, it's nothing for the power of the resurrected Christ. And so we rise to the occasion of isolation through innovation to foster collaboration of a proclamation that Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. His body, the church, continues to rise. The Spirit of God, it's blowing in the wind, and as the wind, it's this magnificent centripetal force and centrifugal force. It, it draws us together, it binds us together, and then it sends us out. So I just need you right now to look at yourself, to view yourself and your family as on deployment, out on assignment. Devote yourselves to the teachings, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, sharing a meal together, and praying together. Those are binding us together. Oh, but then let's distribute ourselves, our love and our grace and the same mercy that we have received for the sake of others. In all that, just remember one last thing, that divine love, it never plays fair. It just doesn't. About the time we think we have it all figured out, we're called to be innovators. About the time we think that we hold these possessions as our own, they belong to us, we cling to our belongings, and in those moments, the God to whom we belong sends a spirit-wrapped vortex of conviction to say, you need to sell it or give it away because there's someone else who's hungry or lonely or needs that. And the way that we help flatten the curves of isms and phobias and all the other ills in society is by holding ourselves in common to care for the least and the last and the lost and the lonely. The last part of what Luke says, it says, day by day, the numbers of those being saved increased. And what I, I'd like for you to hear in that verse is that Luke's painting, his prescription, it really has nothing to do not as much to do with the profession of faith, of making a declaration down a center aisle. He uses this word sozo that has everything to do with helping another person pull themselves out of the muck and the mire of life because being saved from that broken condition to a place of wholeness is the power of resurrection. We're coming out of our tombs sooner, sooner than some of us want. 
but we're coming out of our tombs as a renewed, arrested, a revitalized people ready to change the world. In the middle of this pandemic, it is divine love that holds people together, but we hear that exact same missional proclamation of resurrection. Do not be afraid. Peace be unto you. Let's go change the world by holding all things in common. Amen. Amen.